Well, good morning to you. And our guest, pre uh, guest preacher <clears throat> once began addressing the audience, his uh, congregation or a congregation, with the words, as I drove here this evening, it was an evening service, I was asking the Lord, what shall I tell your people this evening? You think that's a tall story? No, I was there. I heard it. Now, I can assure you, I haven't done this this morning as I was driving here. But I have to confess one thing, that about nine, ten days ago, I was uh, having lunch with my wife at home. And I said, you know, Raquel, um, I have some difficulties in knowing how to dress and approach the subject that I've been given to speak upon this morning. And she says, oh, really? I said, yes. She said, well, what is the subject? I said, love. And so she says, well, I'm not surprised at all. You have some problems addressing that subject. <laughs> That's also a true story. I was there. And I did say to her I would incorporate it into the uh, introduction. But, she, you know, she might have a point there. Um, I'm not very emotionally demonstrative. Um, in fact, my, my, one of my daughters said to me, you know, Dad, your emotions are those of a robot. <laughs> you don't have any. So anyway, with that uh, brutal diagnosis in mind, um, and since I express love by doing things more than them by words or massive hugs and that sort of thing, um, which is all very good, by the way, um, I'm going to concentrate this morning on love in action. So, the title is Love Divine or Love's Excelling. Now, that's not original, is it? We just sang about it. So, I thought, well, that's very appropriate because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Love Divine or Love's Excelling. And we've listened this morning to Philippians, a famous passage in Philippians 2. Verses 1 to 11, read to us. But a word of caution here, or at least to me, and maybe you can sympathize or empathize with me in this issue. A word of caution is needed here. We run the risk when we read or listen to this passage to thinking of it in rather human terms. Influence may be... Is this on? Yes by what we sing at times, especially at Christmas. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when you camest, or thou camest to earth for me. And that starts a process in our minds thinking about something in particular. Or it can be a description of heaven in Revelation 2 when it talks about the gates and the pearls and the glass and the gold, etc. So again, we start thinking, maybe I have done that in the past, in human terms. And we think, wow, the Lord left, left heaven. And we imagine a glorious palace, don't we? I don't know whether you've been to glorious palaces. I've been to a few. And you start thinking and looking and, you know, the sheer splendor of the palaces, the, the breathtaking architecture, architecture, the exquisite decorations, gold everywhere, carpets, tapestries, 
massive staircase that seemed to defy gravity. You think, you know, how on earth they've done that? Maybe Marta can explain to me afterwards or any other um, architect here. And we think, you know, it, this is so incredible, so amazing. If this is being done by man and this is on earth, what will heaven be like? And we start equating things. And so when we do that, we marvel at the fact that the Lord, Jesus our Lord, left a place like this. And he came to wretched earth to save wretched me, poor and ugly me. Well, let's get these verses straight. These are the verses that we read this morning. These verses are not talking about the, or highlighting the splendors of heaven that our Lord Jesus left. Look at where the emphasis is placed. He emptied himself. These verses are not saying that heaven was left empty because a third person of the Trinity left it, which is true. But that's not where the emphasis here lies. Not saying that, or he, it is saying that he emptied himself, and that makes a total difference here. Heaven was empty. But the issue here and the importance of this passage here is that he emptied himself. Obviously, heaven is much the poorer for it, but let's forget the idea of a massive palace, beautiful, and he left that. He did more than that. He emptied himself. Now, let me paraphrase Paul's inspired words, verses 7 and 8, in this way. This way. It tells us that Jesus emptied himself. I'm emphasizing that. He puts his rank and dignity to one side. He puts his glory that corresponds to him as creator with all that means and takes on the form of the creature, you and me. And he assumes the limitations of a human body. And his journey doesn't stop there, of course, for he takes the form of a servant as well. Less than a creature like you and me, a servant. And finally, in humble obedience, gives his life as a ransom for many, Apostle Paul will tell to his beloved Timothy in 2.6. So yes, the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, left the glories of heaven, but he went beyond that. He emptied himself. So this is the background that we should have in mind. The Lord emptied himself. Now our limited and human minds cannot fathom the vast depth of the meaning of those words. He made himself empty. Can you figure that one out? Can you understand it? Can your mind wrap around it? Can you think, yes, I've got it? I can't. But at least we can clearly see the result of him emptying himself. And the result is that he shows us the maximum expression of love. We can appreciate that. We don't know what is behind it. We don't know the meaning of emptying himself, but we can see the results of it. Tangible. He emptied himself, and thus doing is the maximum expression of his love. Unconditional and sacrificial love. So the love that concerns us this morning is unconditional and sacrificial love, as I say. Now, if you're still thinking about yesterday's Valentine banquet, some of us were here. 
where the attraction or the word attraction or the concept attraction played a major part on what we celebrated yesterday, love celebration yesterday, was attraction. We had couples talking to each other, how they met, how they were attracted to each other, how they decided to marry, and that was the story of all of us as well there. That was a word yesterday. We're today thinking about unconditional love. Yeah? And there was nothing intrinsically attractive in us that motivated Christ to love us. There's a lot that motivated me and attracted me to my wife, and it will be the experience of all of you as well. But Lord, is the Christ's love is directed to you and me where there's no attraction or there was no attraction. We were enemies of him. We were separated from him. We, our mind was totally against him. Evil thoughts, terrible actions, dead in our transgressions, trespasses and sin, as the word says. Yet, he loved us unconditionally. There was nothing attractive there, but he came. He emptied himself. And he loved us. Now, you might ask, what are the consequences for us who have received such depth of love and forgiveness from our precious Lord? What does that mean for us? What should our reaction be? Well, he calls us to show his love, that love to others, especially to those who are the recipients, the beneficiaries of God's unconditional, sacrificial, and complete and unselfish love, divine love toward each one of us. So we know that he emptied himself, we know what he did, and he's now calling us to do the same, to empty ourselves. Church love, still putting an enormous uh, title, I summarize it by saying church love. The love between us as brothers and sisters, that's what I mean there. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, Peter writes this verse, verse on Christian brotherly love. That concerns each one of us here this morning. And this is the same Peter, you will remember, who had many years ago blatantly and publicly and with emphasis denied Christ with a curse. Disowning the good shepherd. But Jesus didn't disown him. Instead, the resurrected shepherd goes back to Peter and entrusts him with a vital job. Peter, feed my sheep. This is the Peter that writes these words. And a few more, of course. So Peter was very deeply impacted by Christ's love for him. So much so that he repeatedly tells his readers in this, his first uh, epistle, to express the reality of Christ's love by loving each other. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 22, and he repeats it here. Peter, you remember, likes to repeat things. He says, you know, it's not onerous to me. I mean, I, I will do so as many times as I have to for the good of you. So he's repeated this one again. Chapter 1, chapter 2. And in this verse, Peter emphasized it by saying, above all. Did you catch that? Above all. That's a kind of a couple of quick words. Let's, let's go to the meat of it, you, you think. Keep loving each other. No, it says above all first. 
Peter has already exhorted, exhorted them to live the time we have left doing the will of God. A little bit further down this episode, four, chapter 4, verse 2. And in doing so, he says, you know, if you're going to live what time you've got left, whatever it is, living what is left doing the will of God, above all then keep loving one another. That is part of living the, world, the, the, the will of God and doing the will of God. And this is something that we think, you know, is a little bit difficult. Let's, let's leave that one to one side, loving each other. You know, we're all a little bit... I can do other things and live the life that God gives me in another way. But Peter say, no, this is part of it, an integral part of it. Above all, he is telling Christ's followers that expressing the reality of Christ's love by, love, by loving each other is a priority, above all. Because it is indispensable for living out our brotherly relationships and therefore doing the will of God. That's what I've summarized there. And we're all wise enough, and as we say in English, and old and ugly enough. You know, we're all wise enough to know that living out our relationships with our brothers and sisters can be very challenging. Nobody's putting their hand up saying, no, you're wrong. I don't think I am. Because we're all defective. We all come out, to put it in manufacturing terms, out of the production line with something wrong. And we carry most of it perhaps too long as we live. Defective. So relationships are difficult because we are defective. And if you talk about a church like this where you have different cultures different nationalities, different way of doing things and speaking, and even different denominations here, the thing complicates, it gets a little bit more complicated, isn't it? Misunderstandings can quite easily crop up. It's just a cultural thing, didn't mean any harm. Yeah, but I didn't see it that way. I come from a different way, in a different place. Right? So yeah, we're wise enough to know that our relationships with our sisters and brothers can be challenging because we are defective. You know, some of us, like myself, are more like, like hedgehogs, right? Than fluffy puppies. Who would you rather hug? I know who I would. That's a fact of life, isn't it? My daughter said to me, you know, Dad, you know, with the face you carry around, no wonder people don't speak to you. You know, you look so serious all the time. Yeah? You've got a point as well. Well, love is much more than an emotion, isn't it? Which It, it is part of love, obviously, I, I, I accept that. But love is an active business too. We put love into real activities. It's not just an emotion, something out there. You feel and that's it. No, you, you have to put it into practice. How do you do that? Well, Peter says, do it earnestly. Um, I don't know whether you know what that word. Other, other version says, fervently. Uh, so, you know, being a little bit ignorant as far as words are concerned, I, uh, well, I actually run a risk, and I'm going to run a big risk now. Very big risk. I don't know Greek. So somebody will say, well, you know, keep out of it. Well, but like everybody else, I actually can read. 
So I go to the expert linguists and see what they have to say about it. Not that I know, but somebody else can tell me. And having done that, if I have understood it correctly, some of your linguists, and especially Pastor David here, will come afterwards and please go, you know, you got that totally wrong. So, you know, in the announcements he will say, don't listen to what he just said, it's different. But if I understand the word correctly, the original meanings or the meaning encompasses this, with intent, constant, strenuous, intense. Pastor David is nodding, so woof, got to worry with that one. That is what the meaning of that English word earnest, earnestly means. I.e., taking it to its full potential, to its maximum potential. That's what it's saying, or well, at least my understanding, what I read of the Greek word, which I don't even remember now. Taking it to its maximum, fullest potential. While taking my love to my sisters and brothers in Christ to its full potential? Really? Yep. That's what Peter's saying, inspired, by the way, by the Holy Spirit. It's not just his interpretation of things. That's what Peter's saying here, here, earnestly, fervently, and other words that come up in different versions. Taking it to its maximum potential. Now, that's a tall order, isn't it? Anybody want to uh, stop the world and get off? Now, I have to confess another confession here. That's the second one today, or this morning. That so very often, I keep it to a minimum. And I dare say, I'm not alone. I think that club has quite a few members in it. I think I got the uh, number one ticket, but I dare say I'm not the only one. I keep it to a minimum required. What do I have to do? And I, as I say, it might happen to you as well. And I call this the blue mentality. You know, people are looking at me, what, what is he going on about? The blue mentality? Do you remember that guy? <laughs> yeah? The bare necessities. And he sings a beautiful song. If you act like a bee acts, uh-uh, you're working too hard. Yeah? That's the balloon mentality that I have sometimes that creeps into my way of doing things. The bare essentials. Don't work too hard at it. So how do we know we are loving at full potential. What is, if you allow me the expression, best intention, the objective indicator that tells me that I am actually loving at full potential? What is the indicator that I know I'm doing it? We've been told we have to do it. I'm trying to do it, but how do I know I'm doing it at full potential? Well, we have to turn again to Philippians 2 that was read to us this morning, and we turn to it again. The Lord emptied himself. This is not Philippians 2, by the way. I've just gone ahead of myself here. 
Philippians 2, as we've seen, he, the Lord emptied himself. He gave himself. He set aside his comfort. And he gave himself during his whole life and at the end of it too. That's the nature of full potential. Now, let's consider this wonderful hymn. Sadly, it's not in our hymn book, so I don't think we, we can sing it. Let's read it together as a prayer this morning. It's a hymn, but let's make it a prayer. Give me a sight, O Saviour, of thy wondrous love to me, of the love that brought down to earth. What a prayer, what a lovely hymn. Oh, that we may understand the full extent of Christ's unconditional and sacrificial love for us. Why? Then we will be so much more able to obey his command. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. When we consider the cross, when we approach it, when we ask the Lord to give us a sight of what that meant, then we will be so much able to follow Christ's command. I believe, in fact, there's a perfect correlation between my understanding of the full extent of my Savior's wondrous love to me, as the hymn says, and how I practice brotherly love at its full potential. There's a perfect, in my view, correlation. The more I understand what it meant for the Lord Jesus to empty himself and come for me, the more I will understand how I should love and be, by God's grace, able to, to, to actually love my brother and sister. But we need to go back to this time and time again. Christ emptying himself. Give us a sight, O Savior. May this be our prayer constantly. But a note of caution here also. We have now realized what the indicator is, and we are working out love. And we are doing things. But a word of caution here. We can serve sacrificially, but with little or no love. Now, another confession. I have fallen into that trap many a time. For example, out of mere duty. So we're doing things out of mere duty. Well, that's what I expect of myself. You see, uh, Tim here has got very high standards. And I expect to carry them out. My duties. And in fact, others expect me to do so as well, so I must do so. And this 
brothers and sisters, without love is actually boasting. You see, I am dependable. I carry out my responsibilities. Those that I impose on myself and those that others expect of me too. And I don't let anybody down. I'm always there, dependable. That, that is boasting. And that is doing love, sacrificial love, totally wrong. There's no love in there. You're just saying, you know, how great I am. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Do nothing from personal ambition or conceit, boasting. You might be working very hard, might be doing things, never late, always there, always dependable. But if you're not doing it with love, what's the point? Then Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. Covers a multitude of sin. sins. What does the phrase mean? Does Peter talk about hiding somebody's sin? Well, that will help, won't it? Uh, relationships between us, brothers and sisters, if we cover up our sins, nobody will notice, and we'll get on fine. Or is he talking about forgiving sin? Well, listen to what David, the psalmist, says on this subject. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Then, if you get, pick up that psalm and open it at home perhaps, goes on to recount his awful experience, the spiritual weight of covering his sin up until he decides to confess it and the Lord forgives him. So covering sin is not the same as covering up sin. Covering sin is actually forgiving sin. So let's remember that in our relationships. Covering sin is actually forgiving, actually confessing and forgiving. Therefore, loving at its full potential acknowledges and deals with the fact that we're still imperfect. We make mistakes. We are many times self-centered and we sin. And all this, obviously, as you know, affects our brotherly relationships so love has to deal with the fact that we're all imperfect in a particular way. Loving at its full potential will acknowledge and deal with the fact that we are still imperfect. We can't go around in our relationships without having this in mind. That we are imperfect. That I'm imperfect. Put up with me a little bit. I'll put up with you too because I know you're imperfect. So you see, Peter had years earlier asked the Lord how many times he should forgive his brother or sister that had sinned against him. Notice how he phrases it. The other person has sinned against me. How many times should I forgive? He could have said it the other way around. I have sinned many times. How many times can I expect to be forgiven? But no, don't knock him. We do, we do exactly the same. What they've done. How many times have you done it? So he asked the Lord, you know, how many times should I forgive? And we know the answer, don't we? He said seven, you know, the perfect number in Jewish culture. And the Lord says, no, 70 times seven. So I don't know whether Peter got his calculator out and, and sorted out the, the number. 
But, you know, the Lord is saying to Peter, you, you, you can't put a number on it, Peter. You can't put a number on forgiveness. Even if the brother or sister actually kept that particular one, kept singing, singing against you, and he reaches 490 times, what are you going to do? 491st, you're not going to forgive him? I think that's basically what the Lord is saying, isn't it? Don't put a number on Peter. Don't limit it. Having had your sins forgiven, even though you didn't deserve it, Peter, and he's talking to us as well, by the way, you should forgive others with the same gracious love that the Lord has forgiven you. With the same generosity. Loving at its full potential is not, will not limit forgiveness, but will forgive others with the same generosity with which the Lord has forgiven me. So we go back to the cross. Give me a sight, O Savior, what you did for me. So Peter has learned the lesson, you see, and he says, love covers a multitude of sin. He didn't forget that lesson. Nor should we. So how does love deal with the fact that we're not perfect? Well, this is where you're hoping me to put up 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, right? It's gone that verse, or verses has gone through your minds. I know. Well, I'm not going to put them up. Because you know them, and you can read them. So that's a little bit of homework that you have when you go home, if you forget what they were. How do we deal, or how does love deal with the fact that we're not perfect? Well, keeping that passage of 1 Corinthians in mind, 4 to 7, love does not turn imperfections of others into destructive criticism, criticism which gives, lie, uh, gives rise to conflict, Right? Love instead is patient, patient, gracious. It overlooks it and forgives it. How many times somebody's imperfections are the subject of our chat? How many times? Love, real love doesn't do that. Love does not look at words and actions with suspicions which only breeds conflict and misunderstanding. You know, what did, what did he mean with that? Why did he or she say that? And you start putting into the wrong context and giving it a meaning that it was never intended to have. Why do we do that? Well, we are marked by the original sin, which is mistrust, isn't it? Garden of Eden. You know, you can almost hear Adam and Eve, their work and, and thought processes. You know, what did actually God mean by that? Is he trustworthy? Surely, what's he hiding from us? What's he doing? Nothing's good. And he says, that one, no. And they listen to the serpent. Ah, oh, that God knows. Ah, oh, he does know. And he's not telling us properly then. So the mistrust starts to come in. And that happens to us. What do they actually mean? What do they say? Why did he do that? Why when he said hello this morning, you know, he was looking the other way? And like that. Does he like me? Happens to us, doesn't it? I'm sure I've done it many times. When I do, you know, get my, I say, look at me. Yeah? 
We're so prone to that. And love recognizes the frailty of our brother and sister, as well as our own, by the way. If I know my frailty, I will actually be able to relate much better with the frailty of others. But we tend to think that, you know, this is our standard, and everybody has to kind of fit into the standard that I portray and I want. Love recognizes the frailty and welcomes them as beloved of God, regardless of the faults, the failings that we may see in them. Because if we start counting, I'm sure they will see many more failings in us than we do in them. Love, therefore, will wisely forgive the offenses and affronts of others, not allowing resentment to gain a foothold. So easy, isn't it? Even when we forgive, yeah, but I can't forget. You know what he did to me? That was tough. That was big. I have difficulties with that. That's my third uh, confession this morning. I really have difficulties with that. And I haven't got a good brain at all. But I, I seem to somehow to remember things that I shouldn't. And what I should remember, I don't. Sounds a little bit like Paul, doesn't it? What I should be doing, I don't do. And what I do or should do. You know the passage. So we have therefore two choices. I can cover up my sin by refusing to own up to it and blinded by this attitude I set myself as standards by which I treat the other people, my other brothers and sisters. See, I cover up my sin so I'm blinded by that and that's my standard, you see. That's how I judge other people. Or the other choice is that I acknowledge that Christ covers my sins, my faults, my errors, and clothed with that love, not now blinded, but clothed with his life, and my eyes open by his light, I make Christ's love the standard by which I accept and treat and serve my brothers and sisters at IBC and outside IBC as well. Two choices. Either I have my standard or I have Christ's standard. You see, refusing to live out the love Christ or love of Christ is destructive. But living the love of Christ at its full potential will breed unity and harmony. You see what Paul says on this matter. These are very, very well-known verses. Since I, put, I didn't put up 1 Corinthians 13, I'll put this one up. Put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved that we are, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, the word again, remember Peter saying it, above all, this is Paul now saying above all, above all these Previous things that he's talked about. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So when we live a life of deep love for God and deep love for each other, it will be so much more difficult to sin against each other. It will be so much more difficult to hold on to resentment. And sin and resentment, therefore, mess up brotherly love and brotherly relationships. Now, the third bit, I've got two minutes, and we can do it. 
love's testimony. This is not now Peter speaking. It is John. And it says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This has already been read to us. Now, I don't know who said this, but I guess somebody did. Maybe it's written down. Sorry, I haven't got the author there. Or the person who said that. Love is a song that believers, brothers and sisters, in their relationships, must all play in order to work together in harmony. Yeah? I don't know who wrote it, but I think it's very well written indeed. So I've used it. <laughs> Should have put there anon, anonymous. And please note, going back to this verse, it's where the, where the verse is putting its emphasis. Not in our individual actions or behavior, which indeed must point to Christ, but it's putting the emphasis in relationships between disciples. If I'm acting correctly in the world, people will look and say, you know, yeah, why, why is he different? I'll hopefully be pointing him to Christ. But this verse is talking about Brotherly relationships. So let's notice that. For it is in these relationships, difficult, difficult relationships, in the way that we relate to each other, where we will show a love which is uncommon, which is nonsensical from the human perspective. Because it flies in the face of the world's priority of satisfying primarily one's own desires and emotions. So when the world sees something quite different, that flies, as I say, right in the face, they will sit up and take notice. Showing divine love in our relationships, something which is quite strange and uncommon, as we work out how we treat each other in our difficulties, with hedgehogs around rather than fluffy puppies, people will sit up and notice. We were at a wedding at the end of last year, and with this I finish. Beautiful wedding. It was the wedding of Pastor David and Susie's Son Michael with Jill Aquino. Lovely wedding. There was a lady in the cloakroom. And some people, Raquel was one of them, spoke afterwards to her. And she said, you know, I haven't understood a word of what was being said because it was in English. Not a word. But I have been so taken aback by what I've seen. It has, she said, brought tears to my eyes. The way everybody treated each other. Their impeccable behavior. There was no swearing at each other. There was no drunkenness, no fighting, no shouting, no rude behavior, no excesses of any type. Such harmony and happiness that it brought tears to my eyes. It was unique, she said. Never seen anything like that before at a wedding. I mean, she must have seen hundreds of them. What a testimony. And those who she spoke to then could tell her who we were. Uncommon love 
divine love. So with this I end. May the Lord help us to above all take our brotherly love to its fullest potential. It will breed unity and harmony and it will point others to Christ. Amen.